Witty, thought-provoking, and uplifting, Southern Soul Livestream is a program that you'll invite your friends over to watch every week where you'll learn about interesting guests and get to share in their fascinating experiences. Tune in each Thursday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern to connect with guests from across the generations and to laugh with our eclectic hosts who are as charming as they are talented. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here's our host, Calvin. I am so excited about the work we're doing here at Soul Thursdays. This is like season three, and we've had such an awesome time. I'm excited that, you know, Reverend Lakeisha Womack is back. She was here doing season one when we began to discuss the future of the Black church. And then doing, I think it was still season one, we began to talk about church-based trauma. Just begin to understand what happens when people begin to experience some form of trauma or pain in the church. Mm. Well, tonight we pulled together a very interesting collection of speakers who essentially, as I describe them, are the community architects who are architecting the community that we need and desire for tomorrow. But what I want to do first is just introductions, kind of get everybody going. And I want to start with Reverend Keisha, Lakeisha Womack. Reverend Lakeisha, how are you doing? Look at you unmuted. I am great. How are you? Great, great, great. Now, you were a little quiet on the, the trivia now. What's up with that? I, <laughs> I know you knew the answers. What was up I don't with that? type very fast, and then I don't like losing. So it's like, you know, just, <laughs> yeah, just play my head. Oh, so, yeah, so, so, yeah I, I'm kind of like that when it comes to watching sports <laughs> on TV. I'm like, I, I just don't want to do it. I don't even want to get my hopes up. So you just knew yourself, it sounds like. Exactly. Yes. Be true to yourself. Awesome. Well, if you don't mind getting us started, I would love for you to just to introduce yourself what you do and you do so much, you know, tell us, introduce yourself, tell us, you know, where you are and, you know, let, let us know something about you. Oh, okay. So my name is Reverend Lakeisha Womack. I am based in Charlotte, North Carolina. I've been a business and marketing consultant for almost 20 years, um, working with companies across the country, um, doing leadership development training, strategic planning, all that great stuff. Answered my call to ministry about 15 years ago. And then some friends who were pastors said, hey, that thing that you do at businesses, can you come help me do that with my church? And so I thought that it was a branding marketing issue. And then I I started going into some churches and I was like, oh no, like <laughs> we need to throw it all away and start again. So I um, started this program called Rethinking Church and it started out as a workshop, then it was a workbook. And now we are a Facebook community with about 2000 members and we work with faith-based leaders to help them rethink how they engage their congregations and the community. Um, aside from that, I'm a serial entrepreneur, I probably have about four or five companies that I run and a great team of creatives that help me stay sane. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Lakeisha. And welcome back. Up next, we're going to do Dr. Charlize Brown and then Reverend Carlene Brown and then Reverend Jaquentin Sutton. Dr. Brown, how you doing? Hey, how are you? Awesome. Awesome. Tell us a little bit about you and what you do. And, you know, I love about this panel is that you guys do so much. So feel free to give us the total scope or, you know, the range of the passionate things you work on, you know, at work, at home. Tell us about you. So my name is Dr. Brown. I'm a social worker and a therapist. I've been in the field for about six years um, and I love what I do. I have a passion to bridge the gap between faith and mental health. Um, I recently 
got my doctorate degree a month ago. And one of the things I worked on with my dissertation is implementing a trauma-informed program in Black churches. So I will be launching that in the fall. It's called Restoreth My Soul Trauma-Informed Care Program. Um, I'm also passionate about working with the neurodiverse population. So individuals with ADD, ADHD, autism disorder, any type of personality disorder and trauma. And yes, that's where my heart is. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Up next. Who I said was going to go next? Let's see. Um, that would be me. Yeah. Reverend <laughs> Brown. What's up, Reverend Brown? Thank Hi. You for being How here. are you? Tell us about you. Tell us about what you do. All right. All right. So my name is Carlene Brown and I hail from Florida. It is rainy and hot down here at this time, <laughs> but um, I am a social worker. I have been um, I am licensed in the state of Florida and I've been working as a social worker for a few years, for years now. I started in Connecticut, New York, and then I landed in Florida. I work with uh, teens, adults. I deal with anxiety, mood disorders, similar to Shalise, um, in that in that field. Um, love, love, love what I do. I do have a passion for young people, especially the teens, because I noticed that, um, you know, the suicide rate is going up. So I really, really like to grab them a little early um, so that we can kind of uh, help them to process their emotions. Um, that is really dear to me to help the Black community process something that we were really trained and taught to suppress. You know, I'll give you a spanking, but don't you cry. Or, you know, you, you weak if you're a guy, if you cry. So that's um, something that's really passionate for me to do. I am a proud grandmother. I love it. Love my grandbabies. That's why I'm in Florida. And um, listen, I'm I'm here. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Reverend's Sutton, how you doing, my brother? Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you so much, Calvin, to all my cohort leaders. God bless you and to all the listeners that are out there today. This is the day that the Lord has made. Yes. We're going to rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. Most yes. people call me Q. I hail from New Jersey, uh, seven minutes from the beach, which I walk and pray each and every morning with my lovely wife and my and my daughter, who is uh, uh, soon to be a, a senior. Uh, we have a, a son. He's currently his last year is at Morehouse. And so uh, senior pastor for 12 years, leading a faithful uh, church called Lebanon Baptist Church. Uh, what a great place in Bergen County at the tip of uh, New Jersey. Last exit on the parkway, along with being a full time senior pastor. I'm all about social justice and advocacy, making sure that the least, the lost and the low is lifted. Besides that, uh, I do believe in, in utilizing your gifts and your talents. Um, I've been on the air uh, with my own show called The New Day for the last 12 years. And so it's amazing. Uh, our dear brother Calvin and I, we just have that Kenyan spirit. Um, and so we, we have a show that's focused on positivity, creativity, making sure that your life uh, is the best and it's a new day. And so not only do we have artists uh, such as Evelyn Champagne King, we have 
uh, ex-NFL football players that we interview. So we always try to bring out the best in you. Besides that, I am a supervisor intern uh, for seminarians. Uh, I am a uh, alumni of New Brunswick Theological Seminary. And so I'm just blessed. I have one of my, uh, now she's a member of my church, Reverend Kia Inman, who's online. And so uh, she was an intern and now she is a member of Lebanon Baptist Church. And I also too want to give a shout out to, um, I am a second year Howard uh, School of Divinity uh, doctoral candidate. And I have a few of my candidates, uh, cohorts on the line here. And so we are excited, Sister Cynthia, um, Sister Charlotte is on the line. And so we are just, uh, we the real HU. And so <laughs> we are excited for that. And my focus is on black health. Black health is so important. It's a paradigm that we're all trying to really just kind of make sure that not only uh, our community, but the world understands that black health matters. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, my brother. Shout out to your guest here tonight. Thank you guys for hanging out with us tonight at Soul Thursdays. You know, we do a lot of work here at Soul Thursdays and we essentially any topic that touches the black community, we're not too shy to touch it. So thank you guys for being here tonight as we talk about reviving our roots, church health in the future of the black church. I want to kind of start out with Reverend Lakeisha Womack. Lakeisha, I like what you said earlier. You know, you started in one place when you were working with churches. Tell us a little bit about where you started. And I love how you kind of gave us that teaser. You thought it was about marketing. And because what I want to do is get into the business you do today. But I want the people mm -hmm. to kind of get your backdrop because I love entrepreneurship and I love a story of entrepreneurship. Tell us how you got to that place and that pivot from when you said you thought it was about marketing. So um, I am from a small town in Southern Alabama. And so for church, for us, church was all week long. It was, you know, you go at 10 o'clock in the morning on Sunday and you might be there till six o'clock at night. Um, there were programs on Saturdays to keep the kids busy, to keep the adults, you know, I guess to keep their minds from being idle. You had Wednesday night Bible study and then you had meetings throughout the week. And um, I found that 30 years later, churches were still trying to operate in that model. And one of the reasons when the Black church was established that so much of your time was spent at church was because that was the only place that Black people could socialize together. And so as society began to shift and desegregation happened and people had more places that they could spend their time, they stopped spending as much time in church. And a lot of people like to say, well, you know, you need to be in church, but the amount of time that you spend in a space is not necessarily indicative of your relationship with God. And so people no longer wanted to just spend time in the church to keep themselves busy. They wanted to be in church if it was meaningful and if it was edifying. And so I found that there were a lot of churches who were still trying to use that old model of keeping people busy to keep them in the church, but then they couldn't figure out why people weren't coming because people don't need to be busy. People are busy enough already. And so just, you know, going in and trying to help church leaders to reframe their thinking about what the spiritual formation really looked like in today's context. And it's not about getting a logo or 
taking the altar out of the church or turning off the lights and bringing in fog machines. It's about how do you really help people wrestle theologically with the issues that they're dealing with? Like that's what people say when they they want the church to be relevant. It's not change the ambiance and make the church look like the nightclub. It's how can you speak to the issues that I'm struggling with every day? And so, you know, it's kind of difficult sometimes because you have to give hard messages to church leaders about how they engage with people and, you know, some of the things that they want to do and they think is so wonderful. It's like, yeah, not, nobody wants to do that. Like, that's not fun to unchurch people. Like, it might be fun to y'all because, you know, rainbow teas is what you do, but there's somebody like walking in on the street, like they don't want to come and sit and look at tables in 10 different colors so you can raise money. So yeah, you know, that was how um, I got started in the rethinking church work um, as a transition from my business consulting. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. And I want to hear more about that story because I love, love, love a pivot, especially one that's informed. I want to go to Dr. Brown next because Dr. Brown has a unique perspective. And as I begin to put together tonight's show, I begin to think about what all the speakers have in common. And the cool thing is you, the speakers speak tonight, what you guys are going to see is a thread. You're going to see a theme. And what you will see is community builders. You will see people who are building communities and they're not only building communities, they have a unique perspective on the community they're building and the solutions and the answers that they're providing. I want to go to Dr. Brown. Dr. Brown, tell us a little bit about your research and you, you, that dissertation and what that dissertation means for you and the new initiative that you're getting ready to launch. Connect the dots with us. Let us know about you. So the title of my dissertation was Embodying Freedom, Addressing Mental Illness in the Black Church utilizing trauma-informed care. So I started off talking about the history of the Black church and like Reverend, like Reverend Lakeisha said, um, I addressed that the Black church was the only safe place for them to go to. And then the generational trauma that got passed down is you can only stay in this place to be free, to be safe. And people not really having an approach to integrate out into the world and just living a miserable life. Um, I did a few studies asking people about spiritual abuse. Um, I talked about that in chapter three of my dissertation and how the effects of spiritual abuse internally affects their relationship with God and their theology of God is off and feeling like God is abusive and he's not. Um, So spiritual abuse, a lot of people leave and they shy away from Christianity because the people who are supposed to show them and teach them and lead them to the cross led them farther away from him because they weren't trying to create disciples unto Jesus. They were trying to create disciples of themselves and little mini-me's, minions. Um, So yeah, and then I, so talked about that and ended with the solution. So I didn't wanna just address the problem because one of the things that I'm very passionate about, I'm not here to deconstruct theology. It's a form of restorative justice. So you address the problem, you have a solution, and the solution is talking about trauma within the church because there's a lot of trauma, especially with churches in urban communities. Um, so talking about what that looks like, how you can engage with trauma survivors in church communities, because that's also important, and also reevaluating the culture of the church because there's a lot of people who are being re-traumatized in the pews because of the church culture. So if you don't start with that, then it'll be a cycle of the same thing over and over and over again. And that's not the abundant life that was promised to us in the Gospels. 
Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. And, you know, next, when I come back to you, I want to talk a little bit about some of these misconceptions or stigma surrounding mental health in the Black community, in the Black church, excuse me. Up next, um, Reverend Brown. Reverend Brown, you actually, you know, I love, love, love when a pastor not only, you know, preaches, but, you know, I love the history where our pastors, they don't just pastor, but they also do other things. You chose to do a career and not only clinical social work, work as a therapist, but also as a pastor. Can you tell us about this journey and what inspired you to become a licensed clinical social worker, therapist, and a pastor? Okay, so when I think about the journey, it started when I was, uh, I would want to say when I was six, and I was separated from my my mom. And um, during that year, of during the time, because we never really reconnected, after that, it was a, a, a lifelong separation. And um, during that time, I became, you know, very depressed, very, I felt a lot strong rejection. And it ultimately led to me uh, about 11 or so, about around about 11 years old, I made an attempt to end my life. I wanted to die because I just felt unloved, unseen. Uh, rejected. It was it was terrible, and it was during that time too. I was also in search of of God. I would read the Bible every day, but I I didn't understand it quite well. So it wasn't until I turned sixteen that um, I actually gave my heart to the Lord around sixteen when I came to the United States because I hail from Jamaica, and so during that time in Jamaica, it's normal for someone to take your child and to say, We're, "I'm keep, I'm taking them for the summer." And that's the that's the last you're seeing a parent. That that's pretty typical. Um, so uh, when I came here, I became saved. Or I got to know the Lord at that point in time. But Psalm one thirty seven was the most pivotal time in my life. That's when He led me to that scripture, and I recognized that I was not an accident. Because all all this time, I thought I was an accident. I thought I was an afterthought. I was, you know, who cares? Nobody loves me. So I wanted to end my life. So it's based on that journey, the trajectory. I, I got saved. And then I joined the church similar to the one that Reverend Lakeisha talked about. We were in church every single day. <laughs> this is not that long ago, but it was quiet practice on Thursday. It was youth on, on Friday. It was Sunday. It was all day. And it was to keep us from getting in trouble. That was something that I was taught. We weren't no jewelry, no pants, no makeup. And we were going to stay safe with this group. And so, but I loved it because that was where I found safe. I felt safe. I would go there. I would run there after work. And um, from that, I learned, um, I began, begin to be connected with young people, especially those who are marginalized because I felt marginalized. So I, there's this connection. I could walk by someone and felt like, oh yeah, I can feel that they're feeling rejected or, or nobody loves them or they're feeling insecure about themselves. So there's this gift that God literally gave me for that. And it's called discernment. And um, those who know me, I'll just walk by, how you doing? You know, it's just one of those things because I, I, I lived it. And so when I remember just I went to school later because I got married and then I went to college after my children. That was a decision that I made. And I in the other thing in Jamaica is you are going to be a nurse or a doctor. 
<laughs> those are those two careers you're going to be. So I, in my 30s, decided I'm going back to school to be a nurse. But <laughs> when I walked into the class, I had one class I had to take. It's called Intro to Human Services. When I took that class, I said it was eye-opening. I'm a social worker. I remember just the light bulb went on and I was like, I'm a social worker because it connected the dots of how many times I was in the church talking to people, helping people, but not just thinking it's what I do. I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to not knowing it was a career. And that from that moment, I forgot all about nursing. There was no looking back. I'm a social worker. But in that moment, I knew who I was. So even though I was speaking or we were pastoring a church at the time, we pastored a church and we were involved in another congregation, I knew that I was a social worker and I knew that this was what God has called me to do. And let me add, social work is really key for pastors. You need it. The soft skills, the ability to listen, the ability to probe, the ability to evaluate and assess, those are all skills that um, they taught us, but it helped me in even as a pastor listening and identifying with the members, with the sheep, with the body of Christ, and also teaching you how to connect with someone. So yeah, that that was that was really very pivotal. And I find that it helps. And that is right now, I believe that I am still pastoring. I just pastor one at a time, one hour at a time. Because when I sit before, when my uh, clients come, I'm a pastor. I'm listening and I'm I'm praying. So yeah, there we go. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Thanks for sharing that. I mean, I, I love to hear a story of holistic, you know. And I begin to see you piece together. Like, wait a minute, I got this spirit of discernment, but in this as this nurse role, I got this this thing that I do and I take care of people. Wait a minute, I'm pastoring. So good for you and what you do. You know, um, a, a segue. You know. And this is actually for Ren. Ren, you know, there's been some statements about what Calvin's favorite word is. And I think I'm going to do a challenge tonight of what the audience considers to be one of my most common used phrase. I'm going to call it a trademark. So, Ren, yeah. you can um, go ahead and get us started. What you think the most famous statement that I use all the time? And I think, you know, I'm off the rip. I say everything. But we'll see uh, what the audience think, what is one of my most common statements. What I'm going to do is give each speaker a chance to kind of touch another topic. And then what we're going to do is we're going to come and begin to talk about the church. Because where we're starting is we're going to start with the individual, and then we're going to come together collective. But as we talk about individual, I want to go first to um, Dr. I mean, Reverend Sutton and just kind of talk about his approach. His holistic approach, I really, really love. He's not only pastoring, but he's also, you know, has a radio show. He also is in school finishing his doctorate. Tell me, um, Reverend Sutton, can you tell us about your vision? Well, no, no, no. Forget about that. that. That was the wrong question. How do you see the role of the church in addressing this ongoing social justice issues that we see today in society? That's and a great question. In addition, uh, what steps do you believe we should do? Should wow. Okay. Uh, here we go. So, as a pastor, a community leader, and a radio host, one of the most important things I really want to focus on is to spread the message of truth, uh, true facts, that the Lord loves you. Uh, there's hope through work uh, when it comes to advocacy, but also to believe that God has a plan 
and a purpose for every person, not just those members who've been in church for 30 and 40 years, but the new newest member, that member who may be in foster care, the member who may have been abused, that member who had lost maybe their spouses or girlfriends due to uh, mortality. And so a lot of people don't understand that. But the question uh, I always lean towards, as Jesus said, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This, to me, I think is one of the greatest and first commandments. And the second is like, you should love your neighbor as yourself. So what does that really say when we think about Matthew 22, 37 to 39? We're living in challenging times. Many people are confused. They're deceived. Um, and oppressed by the evil. And so that is why I use this platform, uh, not only on the radio, but also doing advocacy to expose these lies. That, and so we wanna, we wanna defend the sanctity of life and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just as Paul said, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So my thing is this, uh, outside those four walls each and every week, the idea is being able to go out into the communities to have an impact around the world. See, it's not about being measured about numbers in the seats. It's not about popularity. It's not about, uh, but but it's it's about faithfulness and obedience. So we have what is called a prayer call every Wednesday, Bible study. See, to me, the fruit of your labor is when you educate the people, when you open their eyes to the truth of the matter, what's going on, when we're dealing with the debt ceiling, when we are dealing uh, with the, uh, the idea that so many of our people in our community have obesity, so many people in our community do not have quality uh, access to health care. So many people do not have quality nutrition, fried foods, Popeyes and uh, Bojangles, all those type of things. And so we're walking around with high blood pressure, walking around in dialysis. I think one out of three on this call may have somebody that's on dialysis or have um, been in dialysis. Mm. And you. also, too, high blood pressure. You know, unchecked high blood pressure, uh, just like Tina Turner, it affects the kidneys. And when your kidneys shut down, it's pretty much almost, it's, it's, it's almost at a point, it's renal failure. So the idea is that the work that we do as a pastor is to inspire others to seek God, to repent from their sins and follow his ways. Peter, he reminds us, repent therefore, turn back that your sins may be blotted out. And as pastors, we are a vital role and, and that we play. It's, it's an ongoing issue such as racism, poverty, inequality, violence. The church is called to be a witness to God's love and justice, right. to stand with the oppressed and the marginalized in their struggle mm -hmm. for dignity and human rights. The church, they can do this by educating members and the broader community about social injustices. So the root causes and the effects and the biblical principles of justice and peace. So what are you saying, Reverend? See, advocating for policies and laws that promote social justice, that protects the rights of the vulnerable, 
and the disadvantage. We're at a disadvantage when the power company comes to your house, tells you that your box is corroded and it has to be changed by the electrician. But if you are already behind after COVID-19, you don't have money to get an electrician. And then what they do, customer service, they put you on a on hold, they tell you, call this number. And then when you call that number, the other number said, well, call back the power company because they're the one that's supposed to give you the number to give an electrician within your zip code. Just think about that right there. What if you a senior? You don't have the mobility to be able to reach out and, and take the time to make those two calls or patient enough to know that your, your body is aching in pain and you have arthritis, next thing you know, your lights get cut off. That's advocacy. It's more than just preaching on Sunday. It's about making sure God's people have some type of uh, collaboration of faith-based dealing with secular organizations that share the same vision of social justice to support their efforts through prayers, through different types of donations and volunteering. But here's the thing. A lot of people say, well, we don't want to get involved with that. We should just pray. We're practicing social justice and its structures and operations. All we're trying to do is ensure diversity, inclusion, accountability, transparency, and its leadership. You'll be surprised when it comes to the hierarchy, the patriarchs, when it comes to folks who are moderators and state presidents. They don't want to be involved in the decision-making process for people who are dealing with poor nutrition, people who are dealing with poor education, people who are dealing with returning citizens coming home. When they got to check the box and they can't get apartments and they cannot have access to a job. So, so what we do as pastors and advocacy, we demonstrate social justice in its daily life as a witness by living of, of values and compassion and generosity and hospitality. But most of all, just like the mother, uh, when someone comes to church, what's the first thing that they say? Is she whispering? Is she judging? What, what, what should happen is forgiveness. When the church is able to forgive someone who has strayed, it helps us to understand reconciliation and solidarity with the poor and the oppressed. So when you reconcile and you bring forgiveness and solidarity, that means somebody is being lifted up. You want to stop the crime in New York City? Go ahead, give some social services. When they got rid of the social services for folks who had mental illness, People had uh, access to go in and 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 get the 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 the, the things they needed, social justice, social work, uh, medicine, and, and all those type of things. So first thing they do when cops see a person, one out of two individuals that have been killed this year by police has to deal with mental illness. Yes, indeed. You know, I want to go next to Dr. Brown, because as I was thinking about this, as a follow up to Dr. Brown, thank you, Reverend Sutton, for describing that. I'll tell you what I took away. You know, I remember when things started getting weird and it's always been weird. But, you know, when things started looking really weird, 
many people begin to say, hey, you know, it'll be fine. The churches will do this and the churches will do this and things will be really quiet. And they say, well, hey, man, what are the churches doing? But I like the way you describe it. Social justice has the opportunity in the church to set the agenda, mm-hmm. to set the agenda of what needs <clears throat> to be done. Because many could go back in time and they can go back to when Jesus was walking and they could look at the work that he did. It was somewhat of a form of social justice. Dr. Brown, I would love to hear what you're saying when it comes to what you have seen. Some of the stigma surrounding mental health in the black church, because one of the things that Dr. I mean, Reverend Sutton said is the strong correlation between mental health and prisons. And then all of a sudden there's this thing with mental health in churches, but at the same time, it seems so quiet that nobody Mm. ever talks about mental health, mental health in churches. So Dr. Brown, I would love to hear more about you and your research and what you have seen are some of the stigmas or challenges we see of why mental health in churches seem to be such opposite topics instead of topics that we begin to entertain more often. Dr. Brown, please please share with us. So one, um, there's a difference between mental health and mental illness, right? So mental health is just the quality of your mind and mental illness is a sickness, sickness of your mind, right? So in the church, mental illness is approached only using spiritual practices and eliminating therapeutic services. So there's this misconception, if you go to therapy, then you lack faith in God, or there's something wrong with your relationship with God, right? But there, an integrative approach is necessary because God cares about all aspects of our humanity. He cares about our spiritual health, our emotional health, our mental health, our physical health, and our social life, right? So it's important to raise awareness about mental health and mental illness. And like I said earlier, reshaping the theology of who God is and reshaping the church culture because that matters. Um, And like I said earlier too, God's not abusive because he's mindful of every area of our life that's causing us distress. Thanks for sharing that. I'm going to do two more. Um, go to Dr. Brown and then um, um, Reverend Womack, and then we're going to start focusing on the church. And I'm going to put a question in the chat for the audience, for you guys to begin to answer. Feel free to type your answers to those questions, and we're going to get the speakers to um, answer that same questions a little later. So um, audience, look in the chat and feel free to type your answer. You know, um, Reverend Brown, I would love to hear some. One of the things you said earlier, that I really, really you know, appreciate you be saying, hey, you know, even though, um, you know, counseling or I'm in therapy, I'm still ministering. You know, tell us about, you know, how you integrate faith and spirituality into your therapeutic practice. And how does this benefit the clients you serve? Well, the first thing that I do um, when a client comes in and we have to do a biopsychosocial, um, there's a there's a hidden part there that doesn't, you know, Usually we just rattle off biopsychosocial, but it's biopsychosocial spiritual. So what I do is identify um, that need within us. We are all with a void. And who is the, the that who or what is the spirit that you lean on when times get rough, when you don't have a, a tangible answer in your hands or in your sight or in your vision? And once um I've acknowledged what who they are. So there's um 
I have a, a variety of people. I've, I've had those who say they don't believe in God. And I've come to realize that when they don't believe in God, I am not going to give them the pearls. I will just give them the therapeutic um, interventions. But if they're Christians that are struggling, it is my job to identify, do you even know who Jesus is or is it just a religious practice of yours? Because that's what mm. I'm finding. One of the reasons why, uh, for me, I have um, I have my practice that is open. It's called Crosswalk Solutions for a reason. Crosswalk. You're in that crosswalk, so you don't know where to go. That's my um, practice, my private practice that is launched. And one of the things that I have come across is a lot of people say I'm a Christian. I hear that terminology a lot. But when they say they're a Christian, what I've come to realize through therapy is that they don't have a relationship with Jesus. Once I, you, you, you start to probe, right? And you start to just to evaluate the, how they live. I recognize that they don't really know Jesus. They don't have a relationship. They just have an association with a church. Mm -hmm. So especially when COVID happened, that's when we begin to see those who had a relationship with Christ and those who just visited church or just did it because mom and mom and them said to go to church or that's what we do on Sunday mornings. And that is where I'm seeing the rub. And so I love I don't I don't um, market my practice as a Christian practice for a reason. Because what I'm finding is there are people out there that will not go to a Christian practice, but they identify as Christian. Those are the, the ones I want to reach. And those are the ones I have been reaching. I've been able to minister to them because I recognize they don't know who Jesus is. And so you've come to realize that uh, when I see that, I, I will pray for them. And then I shared earlier about that little gift called discernment. And um, I've, I've had it in my practice where they'll, oh my God, I've taught them how to, how to really pray, use the scriptures because they're Christians. Once they've identified and I said, well, have you tried looking at Psalms? And what I'm finding out is that a lot of them don't realize that Psalms is just like a, 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 a peek into the soul of a person that there's depression, there, there is, there's anger. There's rage. And when I share with them, all of this is in Psalm and you just have to pick a Psalm and I teach them how to take the Psalm and to pray the Psalm. I'm getting a lot of positive results and, 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 and um, more therapeutic. It's, it's, I, I lean on the CBT cognitive behavioral therapy. And I, I choose that. And I love to use that because the Bible says um, that you are transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? Mm -hmm. And and I've, I've, I've tell you, I love this because everything flows out of the scripture. So we take it and we say CBT, but as believers, as Christians, we say, um, this is, I'm gonna, you're gonna be transformed by the renewing of your mind because it's the mind that, that uh, affects the thoughts, that affects the action. And once the mind is changed, and that, that's what I do with them. So I say to them, once you're clinically clear, medically clear that your anxiety or your depression is not caused by low vitamin D level, which is found in the black community, 
or by thyroid, low hypo or hyperthyroidism. They look at me like, what? No, I need you to go get blood work done so you can get, so you can be cleared. Once that is done and they don't have thyroid issues and their vitamin D level, they're not, because most black people, we 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 got the low vitamin D. I'm, t- I'm just putting it out there. Everybody, you need to go get vitamin D because our skin doesn't break it down. So once I reckon you can, once we agree that that's not what it is, I say to them, listen, your anxiety, your depression, those are thought disorders. Let's start there. What you're thinking is affecting your action and it's affecting your mood. And I can honestly say to you, I have had positive results from adults who, when we can grab those ruminating thoughts, right? I don't, nobody likes me. Nobody likes me. Nobody likes me. Or grab those intrusive thoughts. I'm not good enough. Once you can grab it and you can say, meet it with the truth, right? Fact is, or mama said it, but truth, the, what did God say that I am, right? Oh man, I'm, you get me excited. I, can, <laughs> I, I feel what Reverend DeQuintus Sutton feels because I get excited when I think about how much I missed or how much the church misses when they separate the two. You can't separate because it's just, I, it, we are, medi- um, uh, Dr. Brown and I, we are considered medical profession. I don't know if everybody knows that, but as therapists, we are medical professions, professionals. And we can, oh, by the way, you can get a discount if you use a medical card. You can say that. <laughs> just so I just put it out there. <laughs> but honestly, we're considered medical profession in the church because we're dealing with the mind. It's okay to go to the medical doctor to get high blood pressure pills, but it's not okay to talk to somebody about the fact that I can't sleep at night or I'm waking up every hour or I'm, I'm, you know, can't sleep, can't stay asleep. And I'm doing the early morning wake up and I'm just getting jittery. It's uh, we, we did a disservice. And I tell you, my job right now is to, is to bridge that gap and to let people know that mental health is real. Look at Jesus with the woman by the well. Come on. If you're talking about so many husbands. Come on. Could be anxiety, could be depression. I don't know what it is, but he spoke to her. He and after he spoke to her, she recognizes she's oh whoa, whoa, that's discernment in play, right? And she was like, Well, listen, she switched that subject real quick because he tapped into something, but he tapped into her. That woman at the well, you, you busy doing your thing and you don't even recognize that you depressed with five husbands. What you been doing? <laughs> anyway. I love it. I love it. I love it. Thank you for sharing that. You know, as you were speaking, I began to see how the work you do is somewhat on the front lines, the front lines and how you begin to pull together the gift of discernment along with prayer, along with I will definitely use that term. If they're not Christian, I'm not going to give them the pearls. No pearls if you're not Christian. And I begin to just think about that. Right. Based on that scriptural reference and what that means and how deep that is, you know, what I'm going to do is go to um, Reverend um, Womack and then we're going to open it up with um, Reverend Sutton and we're going to start talking about the black community and some of the opportunity there. Now, as you begin to see the theme tonight, we have social justice with Reverend Sutton. We have mental, mental health with Reverend Brown and Dr. Brown. Entrepreneurship. What is that? Why is that so important to the black church and the black community? Well, I know 
Reverend Lakeisha Womack knows. Tell us about the disparity that we see in the Black community, that we see in the Black church, and why entrepreneurship is so important to the Black church as a disparity. I like when Reverend Sutton talk about these social justices or injustice. The word we use here at Southern Soul is disparities. One disparity after disparity after disparity. And I guarantee you, anywhere in the Black community, you see the topic of disparity, we'll talk about it. But going back to Reverend Womack, tell us about the disparity, the challenges of entrepreneurship and why that's so important in this community, this church of tomorrow. I think it's important because we live in these United States, as they like to call them, of America. And as much as we like to believe that we have a racism issue, we really have an economic issue because the only color this country respects is green. Um, And I feel like a lot of times when we're trying to solve issues in our community, we're working on those issues without access to actual resources, access to capital. And so we can preach and we can, you know, help people renew their minds. But if they're still going home, and as Reverend Sutton said, I don't have any lights, I don't have any food to feed my family, then it it causes people to start questioning, well, who is this God that you keep preaching to me about that loves me and cares for me, but has me living in this projects. And so we have to be able to match not only the renewing of the mind, but also the renewing of circumstances. And so economic empowerment is one of the ways that we do that in the Black community. But I think going back to the issues that Reverend Brown and Dr. Brown have talked about, we have to also deal with the untreated trauma that has resulted from um, the enslavement of Black people in this country. And there's so much trauma that has been passed down from generations to generation that we've been told to get over it, just suck it up, just deal with it. But it's being passed down from generation to generation and we don't trust each other. So we can't be honest about what we're dealing with. We don't know each other. So we can't ask someone for help. And so we have to deal with those issues before we can get to the economic um, issues and the resource building, because we keep saying like, oh, we need to buy black. We need to support black businesses. But if we don't trust each other, then we still think white ice is better than black ice. So we have to deal with psychological issues that are plaguing our community. But at the same time, we have to understand that if we're not supporting the businesses and the nonprofits in our community, if we're not giving funding and opportunities in our communities, then we're still going to be begging other people for resources that we need to get out of poverty. So um, entrepreneurship is one of the ways that we can do that. And one of the questions I often ask churches is like, do you even know who the entrepreneurs are in your congregation. Um, There was a pastor on a panel who said that he had a young man that was opening a food truck. And so he told the young man that the church was going to support his food truck. And he said that young man became one of his top tithers. And I started thinking, how many churches know who the business owners are in their congregation? Do you know who the insurance person is? Do you know who the attorneys are? And not only do you know them, but are we supporting those businesses? Because if not, we're like spiritual gangsters where it's like, go run your business, but come bring us 10%. We need an ad for the ad book, but we haven't done anything to support your business. So we have to look at how do we develop collective economics within our church, and then that will spill out into the community. Amen. Amen. Spiritual gangsters. I I told you she bad, y'all. Up (laughs) next, um, Reverend Quinton, you know, I want you to get us started with this community-based approach. And 
feel free to drop in the chat all of the speakers, your contact information, where the speakers can, I mean, the audience can follow you tonight. Uh, and Reverend Womack, I want you know, we're going to circle back around because I want to hear about the app that you're um, um, launching to kind of help solve this problem. Also, Dr. Shalise, I want to hear about your community that you're going to launch. And also, um, Reverend Brown, I want to hear about where if people are in Florida in the states that you support, where they can follow you and support you, because I love the ministry that you're doing through therapy. So going to Reverend Sutton, I want to give the first panel question for you, and then we're going to go around the room. I want to hear from the audience. So here's the question. Each of you bring a unique perspective to this conversation, this social justice, this entrepreneurship, this mental health in the church. Can each of you share, you know, your personal journey and what made you really become really passionate about revitalizing the Black community. Um, go ahead first, Reverend Sutton. Okay, here we go. All right. So for me, I grew up in Newark, New Jersey, um, in a low-income low neighborhood, witnessing firsthand the challenges and the struggles that many Black families, such as my family, we saw how poor uh, health outcomes such as diabetes, hypertension, obesity affected not only the physical well-being of, of neighbors, but also the mental and emotional health. I saw how these chronic conditions limited their opportunities, their aspirations, and the quality of life. I also saw how the lack of access of affordable and quality health care, nutritionist food, safe environments, social support exasperated these problems. I realized that these issues was not isolated or individual, but systematic and structural. I decided to dedicate my life to addressing these root causes of poor Black health to empower our communities to achieve optimal health and to empower our communities to achieve wellness. I believe that improving these, uh, improving health of the Black, uh, of our community, going to the gym, working out, doing at least 20 minutes of cardio, lifting weights, resistance, it can not only improve, but it will uh, at least put you in the right perspective in regards to Black families, in regards to our society and our health. Building Black communities for tomorrow, it requires a collective effort. So we need to foster unity and stop working working individually, being on an island, uh, men and women coming together, the gifted, the non-gifted, the broken. And, and so it, it helps us to understand that it's a common goal. We want unity, we want peace. We want a movement. So we have to recognize and celebrate our diversity. Not everybody is blue collar, not everybody is white collar. So we can recognize the richness of our culture like entrepreneurship and different things, but also to identify who we are, to support, to uplift each other in our endeavors, whether it's educational, professional, artistic, or social. We just need to create a space for each other so that we can be able to respect and understand that when we have a platform or a dialogue, we can exchange and learning. This, this platform, this is ultimate. This is maximum. This is what we do in our cohort at Howard. We exchange thoughts, we exchange ideas, we come from different backgrounds, but it helps us to understand 
we can become a reckoning force if we join together, if we mobilize, because no matter what, we can really start carving out that whole systematic racism. One of the books that, that explores the issue of caste in America uh, is this caste system, The Origins of Our Discontent by Isabella Wilkinson. She argues that America has a hidden caste system that is more than racism. It shapes the way we live and it shapes our opportunities as a community and it marginalizes us. So she compares the American caste system with those of India and Nazi Germany. And she identifies eight pillars to underlie all the caste system, such as divine will, heredity, and dehumanization. Also too, James Cone, he was a prominent theologian, Afro-American, who developed the concept of black liberation theology, which emphasizes the role of Christian faith in empowering black people to resist oppression and guess what? Seek justice. He criticized the white dominated churches for being complicit to racism and violence and called for a radical reinterpretation of the gospel from the perspective of the oppressed, looking up, not downward. Awesome, awesome. Thank you for sharing that. You know, I often find it very interesting, the origin story of how we got there. And I like the way you describe, you know, what do they call them now? They call them fresh food deserts, places that, you know, you just can't find any fresh food. And I didn't realize what that was until I thought about me as a kid. And I was like, hmm, we had to walk through a trail, literally through the woods mm. at the end of the dirt road to get to the 7-Eleven. We call it 7-Eleven. And at the 7-Eleven, that's equivalent today, what I call eating from the gas station. Right. But as you could imagine, the grocery store was on the other side of town. Mm. So I could thank you for sharing that, because what sometimes people don't realize is they like, well, these people eat how they eat. What they don't realize is people eat how they grew up. Right. And if you grew up in that desert where you got to walk through a trail to get to a 7-Eleven. Right. Then. Don't be surprised what you eat. I also want to kind of go next to, I'm going to give the uh, other speakers a chance to answer this question before I go to the next question. Do anyone else want to share, you know, their take on this question of how they begin to become passionate about building and revitalizing a black community? Any of the other speakers would like to share that before we switch questions? Well, one of the things that, um, you know, I thought about it as he was speaking, and one of the things that I'm also passionate about that is going to be that I'm implementing in my practice is financial uh, literacy. I find that in the Black community, financial literacy is lacking, right? Mm -hmm. And I think it, it came from the slavery, back, back in slavery too. And in my journey, I grew up seeing my grandmother working, but there was no budget. What is a budget? It wasn't until you mess up your credit and you try to go buy something, you know, that you, you realize that you don't even know what a budget is. You, you figure right. if I can get the paycheck every week and when I get the paycheck, I can, I can go out and buy. I felt like I had arrived. Right. And it wasn't until we needed a car and we needed a co-signer and I remember going to somebody in the church, asking them to co-sign and they were like, no. And I remember feeling that anger and mm. feeling like, you know what? 
They don't even want to help me. You know, you go through all of this. They never taught us. It was years later, I found out in the scripture that we're not supposed to (laughs) co-sign, you know, but we don't, we don't have that financial literacy of how to budget and how to sit down and do the numbers worse invest. So that's why economically we, you know, you'll see the person sitting next to you and they'll have a yacht, whatever they have, or they're living off of the, the, the benefit of their investment. Meanwhile, we're waiting for our paycheck from week to week that there's a great disparity there between um, the black community and, and other class of people. And I think that w- that's because we were never taught. We were never. And so now my journey, my passion is to to take black people one at a time or a group. And um, I think Dr. Shalish can attest to it. I've gotten a, a group of young girls that I've mentored, I've taken them to the credit union, taught them how to open up a bank account. And, and this just few years, this is just before COVID, taught them how to budget, taught them how to buy a car, taught them about credit cards, when to pay it, you know, just just the basics of financial literacy is lacking in our community. What we know is the Nikes and the wearing of other people's stuff, but we don't know what it is to plan and to sit down and to say, I want to go on vacation next year. How much will it cost me? We don't do that. And a part of that, and I don't blame our forefathers because we've had to work harder. Most of the mothers have had to work and, and take care of the kids or the fathers out there looking for a job. But somewhere along the line, I feel like it's my responsibility because of the times that I fell bad credit, work and get my credit now on the 800. I now need to turn around like the Bible say, you turn around, ye that have been restored, you turn around, you help somebody. It is my responsibility. It is our responsibility who's on this panel. Whatever we know that God has brought us through, we should not be selfish with our blessings, but we need to turn around and grab one person. One at a time, we can change a whole community because that's you You do that and you that person will tell somebody else and they will start to grow. And I believe in that. You just, you know, it says you might, there's a statement that says, to the world, you might be one person, but to one person, you may be the world. And that's my goal, to be the world to one person at a time. So, you know, that's, that. I just wanted to drop that in there. That That's important. Financial literacy, it, it will cause economic empowerment within the Black community. And that's where we're lacking. We don't have the green to say much. And then they look down upon us. We can get we can go to the highest degree of education, but if we don't know how to financially be savvy with our money, they got us. I'm sorry to say they got us. Thank you for sharing that. You know, what we're going to do is two last um, questions and then we're going to open it up. So question audience, this is your turn. Thank you for being patient as we kind of get through this, but um, audience, this is your time to ask for questions. So we're going to give you guys a chance to come off from you tonight because you guys have been so well behaved tonight. I'm going to give you a chance. I'm going to do two um, more questions. And they'll give you a chance to come off mute and ask your questions to the audience. Thank you, Reverend Brown, for sharing that. And I like your testimony and your witness. I'll tell you what it's showing me. It's showing us, it's showing the audience something I know to be true, how to channel that passion 
which turns into that energy, which turns into that idea, which turns into that entrepreneur's endeavor, which turns into that change you want to seek. You know, I was talking to someone recently and uh, I think he, you know, kind of grew up like me. So he grew up in places where he didn't have things. And we were talking about certain nuances and we were talking about elitism. And this particular person, he kind of follows the trends, he follows the fashion. So whatever's hot, he follows. And I remember talking to him. I said, hey, that's a problem. And he's like, it's not a problem. You know, I live that life. That's my life. And I was like, yeah, that's cool. And the more we talked. I realized I couldn't really connect with him about why it was a problem, this elitist type thing that we were looking at. And over time, I began to think about it. And what I thought about it is what you just said, Reverend Brown, is for whatever reason, he didn't have that thing where you look back and begin to bring somebody forward. Because this thing is like, hey, it's natural. You grow up one way, you excel to another socioeconomic staff. Life is good. And as I begin to think, I'm like, but who did you leave behind? Who did you look back and grab? So thank you for sharing that passion, because it's definitely a witness to us as we begin to see the importance of how to channel that passion into the next endeavor. So audience, start typing your questions in the chat or be prepared to come off mute. I'm going to let you guys come off mute. And I want to go to um, the two ladies who are getting ready to launch something unique. I'm going to let you guys unmute yourself. I'm even let you start your video. We don't see how everybody um, behave tonight. So get ready. We're going to do um, Reverend uh, Womack and then Dr. Brown, and then we're going to turn it over to the audience. So I have a question um, about um, Reverend Womack about this app that you're launching. Tell us about this app that you're launching and the significance of how you plan for it to support some of the challenges you're seeing, not only in the Black church, but the Black community. Yeah, so we are launching the Black Seed Network. Um, our website is live and we are allowing people to join our wait list. And it is essentially an app to support Black business owners. So um, I remember when people would say, oh, you know, we're going to do a blackout. And I've never supported a blackout because my theory is Walmart doesn't care if they get your money on the first or the fifth. They still are going to get your money because we don't have viable alternatives. And so, you know, we try to make like this grand show, but that's all it ends up being is a show because we don't have another place to go buy groceries. You don't have an alternative to buy paper towels. So you end up going back to Walmart. So that never really made sense to me. So we're launching, um, the, we're creating this network to support Black business owners. And the idea is that Black business owners will be able to connect with Black suppliers, wholesalers, and vendors, because it really doesn't make a lot of sense if you're a Black business owner. Owner, but then you're still getting your supplies from white businesses because all we're doing is supporting white businesses as a pass-through. So we want to create a mechanism where um, we can increase the circulation of the dollar in the Black community by helping Black businesses to make those connections. But the other feature for the app is to help shoppers identify Black businesses. So we are looking for dry cleaners, mechanics, accountants, therapists. We want a holistic um, range of businesses 
is to be in the app. And then we're going to have, I don't know if you guys have the Starbucks app, but you know, when you're driving by Starbucks and it pops up and it's like, there's a Starbucks near you. Well, we want um, our app to pop up with a notification that there's a black business near you. So you might drive by a plaza and there's a black dry cleaners in that plaza that you never knew was there. Or if you're traveling and you want to shop at, you want to go to a black restaurant or you want to shop at, you want to stay at a black hotel. A lot of times we have to Google and at that business, which a lot of our businesses are not able to have search engine optimization and websites and all these fancy things that actually cost money. Um, we want them to say, hey, we can pay $20 a month and be on this app and help consumers to find us until we get to the point where we can invest in marketing. So we're also going to have consulting services so that we can help to support and grow those businesses. So that's why our tagline is let's grow together because we want to not only grow the businesses, but we also want to help them to become better um, entrepreneurs. And I'll post a link in the chat. I love it. I love it. I just get so excited as you talk about it because I'm thinking about you guys partnering with churches. And then, you know, um, Dr. Brown is partnering with churches. And then I can see y'all going up north and hanging out with Reverend Sutton. Be like, hey, Reverend Sutton, you know, we're going <laughs> to partner with your church. And, you know, so I'm getting excited. Y'all got to, you know, I'm going to calm down. So let me go to um, Dr. Brown. Dr. Brown, tell us about what the people can expect from you. I know you're, you're still early. You hadn't launched your initiative, but when you come back, we have to bring you back to the show and and, 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 and get you to show us about. So what we're going to do is um, Dr. Brown is going to go and then we're going to go to the audience. So audience, don't be shy. Feel free. You can pull yourself off a mute. If not, you can type in the chat and we'll read your questions for you. So we have some very interesting people tonight. You know, we try to create the safe environment of home and family. So feel free to just be yourself. But Dr. Brown, tell us what we can expect from you and how you'll be partnering with churches. So first I'll talk about what led me to the program and then I'll talk about the program. I was working in um, a community mental health agency in the Bronx. And of course, you know, everybody's coming in. They have access to mental health care, which is great. Now, the issue is clinicians were burnt out. So we were expected to see 55 to 60 clients a week. And what broke my heart is you have clients coming in, they're only allowed 30 minutes for a session. And how can you really unpack trauma in 30 minutes? You know, you, you can't do that. But I mean, thank God for discernment, right? You're able to see certain things and all of that and integrate that um, therapeutic modalities. But the issue that I kept hearing from clients is not having resources in their community. So especially housing in New York is, I mean, I've had clients who are on the waiting list for 18 months. So of course that's gonna increase your depression. Of course that's gonna increase risk for suicide. Of course that's gonna increase your anxiety. So you have all of these things that they're facing, right? So some of them have, they have to put restraining orders or they're on the run because of domestic violence, but there's nothing within the community that can help with different areas of their life, right? So they're coming in, they're getting mental health services, they're upset because it's only 30 minutes, then they have an intake with a psychiatrist, but it's only 15 minutes, but then you're giving them medication. So it's just a domino effect of disaster that's happening in some of these communities. And when I was in school, I thought I was going in for clinical, then switched to leadership and administration. And then I realized like, there's a lack of access to care 
So that's another issue. So one of the things, the foundation of the program that I'm developing is based on Afrocentric theory and systems theory, because you have to look at the system, what's affecting this person, right? So let's say you're in a church, you have a trauma survivor. Let's say they've experienced child abuse or sexual assault. And they're also, they have a low income, right? They have health problems. What can we do, right? So I feel like it's it's important to not only address their mental health needs, but creating a resource, a, a list of resources within the community that can help them. So one part of the program is training the congregation and church leaders on trauma, mental illnesses. But another part of the program is actually doing a program evaluation of the church. What's needed? You need, you need to do a needs assessment. What's needed within this community? What are the common themes that are happening within this community? Why are they assimilating to a certain church culture? Okay, like Reverend Lakeisha said, what is your spiritual formation? What do you think that is? What, what is your theology of who God is? Who does God, who is God to you in your personal life? Like Reverend, Carp, Reverend Brown said, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Okay. Right? So one of the, th- my, the slogan that the Lord gave me two years ago is Jesus cares about your trauma. He cares not only about the experience that you went through, but he cares about the effects of the trauma. So he cares about your anxiety. He cares about your depression. He cares about your mood disorders. Yes, you can shout, you can praise all day long, but the issue is you're doing that and you're putting on another mask and you wonder why you're in in a cycle. Of course, your heart is gonna be farther away from God. The Bible says, I have given you a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. So yeah, when you praise, and yes, Reverend Brown taught me that. She taught me how to pray. She taught me all these things. I'm a product of her work, by the way. (laughs) So he's given us a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Use that strength that you receive to process your emotions. Awesome. Thank the you. The process for your emotion. So I yeah. am looking forward to it. Jesus cares about your trauma. I love yes. it. So the audience being uh well, no, I think they're gonna speak up. Let's see if we can get somebody out from mute. So I would love to get some questions for each of the panelists because the wide topics that they're covering, from Reverend Sutton's, you know, social justice and community outreach, and essentially as I begin to hear it. A, a future where social justice begins to set the agenda of the work that we do in the church. From Reverend Womack and the work that she's doing, where she begins to say, hey, if we minister to the spiritual being, but we're not ministering to the financial person, where does that leave us in this world where green is the currency of choice? And then between Dr. Brown and Reverend Brown, their focus on mental health. As Reverend Brown begins to work on the front line and understanding she's working with not only Christians, but non-Christians and begin to use her gifts to minister to the people and be a better therapist to make sure that she can help the person based on what they're telling her and discernment, helping her to see what they're not telling her. And old Dr. Brown. Dr. Brown, I can see you partner with so, so, so many churches and I like that assessment. What are the needs in your church? Are people just coming here to hear some good music? Or do they have needs? Needs that we need to address and needs that we need to take the money of the church and point it in that direction. 
Let's see some questions from the audience. Let's see here. Well, I think I'll go to the speakers. What questions does the speaker have for anyone on the panel while we wait for the audience? The audience, if you want, if you have a question, you can unmute yourself and say, yep, you can unmute yourself or type it in the chat. But what question does any of the panelists have for anyone else on the panel? We'll let you guys get to know each other. I'm expecting y'all to be friends by the end of the night, by the way. Um, Cynthia has a question. Let's uh, I'm unmute Cynthia. Let's see. Did I see Cynthia? Go ahead, Cynthia. Hi. Um, just want to give some love to all of you all. You make me proud. You make me proud. You make me proud now. Um, so I love this platform. I, I joined in tonight. I am a uh, colleague of uh, the Reverend, the right Reverend Dr. Sutton uh, at Howard. But um, I am loving what I'm hearing from each of you. You've all uh, shared tremendous um, insight on your areas of discipline. Uh, and you're doing a great job, Calvin, by the way. Good job, sir. Um, so loving on you all for this platform. And I'm really appreciating uh, Reverend Womack. Uh, I'm gonna need to uh, holler at you after this, uh, this platform uh, because you've touched on some things that I don't hear us as a church talk much about, which is the cultural trauma, the cultural trauma that we as a black people have experienced that we, like you, I think it was you or Reverend Brown, they talked about, oh, just get over it. I think it was you that said that. No, we cannot just get over it. Like if we as black folks were to just go into this healing session on our own, we'll all be crying, right? Because we just have been taught to just be resilient and just suck it up and just keep it moving, right? And so I just want to, acknowledge that that's a real thing. I think it needs to be lifted up even more in our faith communities. And um, I love how uh, Reverend Q mentioned Isabel Wilkerson's book, The Origins of Discontent Cast, a wonderful book. I encourage everybody who has not got a chance to read it, to read it. And if you think about it, and I'll start with this, but um, if you think about, we had our very first black president, right, in Obama. To, and, and she talks about this in the book and just how he was treated, how educated, smart, everything he brought to the table, right? It was not good enough just by virtue of his skin. And racial justice is a real thing. While we talk about social justice, we need to give some attention to racial justice and racial healing. So as you guys do your work, I want you to think about it along with your disciplines, how we can incorporate some of that conversation on platforms like this. So thank you so much. I'm really enjoying it. And you all have done a wonderful job. Thank you. Thank you, Cynthia. Thank you for the kind words. We appreciate you. And, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting in the work we do here at Soul Thursdays and we do the work, but sometimes we always wonder, do they see it? It is awesome to be seen. It is awesome. The words that only came from you, but Reverend Q of just to be seen, because what it means to be seen is to be appreciated. And I think it's very important that we get our flowers. Okay. Who else got some questions? Uh, no, yo, before you guys forget, we got eight minutes and then we're going to transition to DJK Boogie and we're going to announce the winner of tonight's trivia for the people who hang out. And you guys are going to have to guess the first person who guessed. Now, he's the mix master. Now, he's going to be playing some inspirational, but he's going to mix it up. So, y'all, the first people to guess the answers or name the song that he's playing 
we'll get questions and I'll call out the winner. But let's see who else has some questions. Questions for the audience. And Tamika, let me know if I missed any from the chat because the chat has been kind of scrolling, so I couldn't keep up with it. But let me know if I missed anything. Nothing so far. Okay. Any other questions? I know Dr. Brown got some questions. You know, she seemed like she she always ready. <laughs> I actually don't have questions. Uh, awesome. Well, um, actually, no. Something just popped up. Go ahead. Um, is there anybody in here who's experienced spiritual abuse? Yeah, I like that question. Do you mind if you um, just kind of define it for us or kind of help us understand what that means? So spiritual abuse is, and I'll give a very simplified definition, um, experiencing any type of manipulation in ministry. So manipulation to serve, to essentially get something from your pastor or your leader. Um, and abusing God's word to force you to do something that doesn't even align with the gospel. You know, I, I like that question. I'll tell you why. Is that, you know, I remember some years ago I was um, working with a group of leaders and um, many of the leaders were women. And they began to talk about what it meant to be a woman and a pastor. And from nuances to if it's appropriate to wear pants to nuances such as if you have certain respect when you show up as a guest speaker or as a pastor. And I began to look at that and I didn't really think it was spiritual abuse at the time. But now as I begin to think about it, I begin to think about that struggle and what it could look like. When we did the show on church-based trauma, we began to talk about what that looked like. And I think there's definitely many, many colors of it. But tell me this, Dr. Charlize um, Brown, is for people who have experienced, you know, that church-based trauma or some sort of spiritual abuse, any recommendation or advice on what they should do next? Because I could imagine it's a place, it's a thing where you're like, hey, I don't know what to do. Yeah. Some people, you know, and, and I call this type of abuse is also a fiduciary abuse. And I like that term because what fiduciary uh, responsibility and abuse means is that when you have some sort of role or seniority over a person, like you're the boss and you have employees, fiduciary responsibility, you're responsible for these people. As a church leader, you are the shepherd of the flock and you have some sort of fiduciary responsibility of this flock. So the things you do not only help the flock, but they can also abuse that flock. But going back to Dr. Brown, for the people in the audience and listening, if they have experienced this type of church-based trauma or abuse, what is your advice or suggestion of what they should do? And I would love to also hear from Reverend Brown. So I'll be very quick with this. Um, one of the things with spiritual abuse, it increases risk for suicide, depression, anxiety, and any other mental illness. And another thing, people who've endured spiritual abuse, they may not even know that they've experienced spiritual abuse because like I was saying before, they've assimilated to the church culture. Now the thing with spiritual abuse, it damages your emotions. And what people don't know is this, a person who's experienced any type of brain injury, when you're emotionally damaged, it has the same effect on your brain. So one is external and another one is internal. The number one thing, because a lot of times when people realize they've experienced spiritual abuse, 
there's an overwhelming amount of emotions that they feel in that moment. Go to a therapist immediately. Immediately. Somebody who is a professional who can help you unpack the trauma so that you don't end up in a dark space. Thank you. Thank you. Definitely. Thank you for sharing that. And we have four minutes before we transition to K-Boogie. Um, any last words? We're going to go to um, Reverend Sutton. Any last words to close us out? And feel free to offer, you know, any um, prayer, any closing remarks, and make sure you let the audience know in the chat and also verbally for the recording of how they can follow you, support you, your mission, and the work you do. Go ahead, Reverend Sutton first, then Reverend Brown, then Reverend Womack, and then Dr. Brown. Go ahead, Reverend Sutton. First of all, I just want to say thank you for this wonderful opportunity to share. I'm just truly excited to just uh, be among so many gifted and blessed, anointed uh, vessels uh, who have shared tonight. And this space truly uh, is etched in stone forever. So I'm truly blessed. Um, one of the things I, I've, I've come to recognize, uh, Byron Stevens, uh, advocate, uh, he came out with a movie, um, Just Mercy. It talks about the injustices of the U.S judicial system. And so Attorney Byron believes that many uh, of our people in our community suffer from trauma and stress due to systematic racism and oppression, that they need more access to healing and support services. And I think tonight, if anyone was able to breathe and listen, there was some help on, on this, on this uh, showcase tonight. Um, you have some really, really uh, strong and and thorough um, young ladies that are here, and I'm just honored and blessed. And I'll be and I'll be quite frank. All that I do, uh, that I pour out, I have a therapist, and it's a part of my uh, self care uh, as a pastor. It's a part of my self care to be able to understand that it's about wellness, being a father, being a husband, um, to be able to understand what what life audits and using these dimensions of wellness is all about. So on a scale of one to 10, uh, from a dimension, I have to, uh, one meaning the lowest, 10 meaning the highest, nobody has a 10. I don't care who you are, unless you're Jesus. So, <laughs> so when it comes to physical, when it comes to diet, vocational, when it comes to financial, when it comes to an environment, when it comes to social family, coping skills, uh, intellect, humanistic, spiritual. So all those things, um, it's about putting those numbers in and understanding whether or not <clears throat> are you good and are you not good. So I'm just truly thankful for this opportunity. And my prayer for each and every one of you tonight, and may God continue to bless you, restore you, give you the strength to advocate for the lost, the low, and the least and to continue to not give up and to always hold on because change is coming. Favor is in your place. Amen, my brother. Next up, um, Reverend Brown, uh, if you give us some closing out remarks. And also, Reverend Southern, share in the um, chat how we can follow you on your radio station and sure. where we can, um, what time and things like that. Go ahead, Reverend Brown. Do you mind you close it out with any words? Yes, I would like to encourage uh, us not to be afraid of therapy. And one thing I will say about therapy, therapy is as effective as we are truthful. 
So if we don't bring truth to the table, um, therapy won't be effective. But therapy is necessary, especially in the Black church. Um, and when uh, Dr. Shalise talked about um, spiritual abuse, spiritual abuse is also very prominent in the church, especially in the Black church. But because we're so used to, I believe that we have normalized being yelled at, mm-hmm. being um, embarrassed, being um, spoken down to. We've normalized that in the Black community as it's just the person's persona. But I do recall God, the Bible saying, follow Christ saying, follow me. And he gave us a good example, but we don't follow Christ in, in all that we do. We, we go off on our little tangent. It is more like the, you know, how the Bible says that we are, we've used our own, um, I'm, I'm, I'm losing my train of thought, but it's like, our traditions have um, caused the word of God to be null and void. Mm. So we we operate more in our traditions than in what the Bible says to do with the sheep. So traditionally, I can I can raise my voice and I can yell, and because of that, it should be accepted. I don't want to go too far into that because that's a whole nother gamut. But if you will just permit me, Father. In the mighty name of Jesus, I thank you for this panel of individuals that have come together. We have opened up um, ideas and we have opened up systematic issues that I know that the enemy is not happy about. Mm -hmm. And I pray for those who are here that are listening, that God, that you will uh, allow them to be touched by your mercy. For those who uh, know you, but want a closer walk with you, I pray even now in the name of Jesus that you will minister to them, minister to the needs, oh God, that Reverend Sutton talk about, the, the, the illnesses, the high blood pressure. We speak to that. We speak to diabetes. That's in those that are listening on this panel, just even tonight, God, I pray that you'll heal bodies. I pray that you'll heal minds. I pray that you'll expand uh, uh, Reverend Womack's business. And I pray that you'll bless Dr. Dr. Brown's um, endeavors as she continues to minister to the black church. We know that we're pulling down strongholds, God, because leaders don't want to be told that they need to change. But I pray that you'll go before us. And that, God, that you'll make every crooked path straight, that you'll open the ears to be ready to hear when they come, when we come with a a word that will break, uh, that will break the cycle. You said in your word, God, that a word fitly spoken is like uh, apples of gold on on, on silver trays. And so as we bring apples of gold into these churches, I pray for Reverend Womack and I pray for Dr. Brown. And I pray also for for Dr. Sutton that as they begin to bring apples of gold, oh God, that they will not be rejected. And even if they do, I pray that you'll stand by them. I pray for the the Calvin today, God, that you'll continue to bless his, his endeavors and to bless his ministry. And I thank you for all those who are listening. I pray miracles and mercy in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Dr. Brown, any um um, final thoughts and last um, Reverend Womack and K Boogie is on deck. Get ready to guess this mix. Go ahead, um, Dr. Brown. Um, definitely piggybacking of 
off of what Reverend Brown said, go to therapy, go to therapy. It's a form of self-care. Like that was another thing that Reverend Sutton said as well. It's, it's a necessity, right? Self-care is a necessity. It's not a luxury. Um, and I feel, I feel the need to say this. You are enough. You're enough. To every single person on this line, you are enough. Thank you, Dr. Brown. Dr. I mean, Reverend Lakeisha, where can we um, follow you next? You guys got a big announcement coming up. Um, any um, final remarks? Um, yeah, that was like so rich. I had to like collect myself. Um, it's been wonderful being on this panel. Um, I think that from an economic standpoint, it is important for us to heal and deal with our trauma because you cannot live in the abundance that God has for you if you don't believe that you're worthy. The most important negotiating tactic that you can have is to believe that you're worth what you're asking for. And too often when we have undealt with trauma and hurt, we don't believe that we're worthy of the things that God wants us to have. Mm -hmm. So if you want to live the best life and to live in that abundance, and I'm not just talking about material things that God's going to bless you with a bigger house or a car, all that stuff. I'm talking about peace of mind being able to sleep at night, being able to walk into any room and not feel intimidated or imposter syndrome or all those other things that people talk about. But the abundance that God has for us is to recognize that we are royal people and that we are worthy of every good thing that this world has to offer. And even mm -hmm. if we go through challenges and bad things and all the atrocities that this country has designed for us, that we will still come out of that fire, pure gold. But you have to first believe that you're worthy of those things. And we can't work together and build community together if we don't believe that we individually are worthy of that. So y'all can find me um, on social media at Lakeisha Womack. And it has really been a pleasure to share space with, um, with these wonderful God-fearing people. Awesome. Thank you, Reverend Womack. I am so humbled and so thankful for the speaker tonight for sharing their time with us. I've dropped in the chat where you guys can support Soul Thursdays. You can scan the scan code or you can support us through PayPal, through Cash App or our Buy Us A Cup Of Coffee campaign. If you click on that link, what you'll begin to see is the many statements. If you're curious, if you want to see what our speakers, I mean, um, what our audience says, I love just going back and reading those. So click on that link. This is Buy Us A um, buymeacoffee.com right slash soul live stream and begin to look and see what the audience has said. And if you're willing, feel free to buy us a cup of coffee. We do like Starbucks. We a little bougie. So a <laughs> cup of coffee costs $5 and feel free. If you want to support us weekly, monthly, then you can essentially set it up for periodic payments. Thank you for joining us at Southern Soul Livestream Talk Show. Join us weekly at soullivestream.com. If you're joining us live, we'll take a quick music break and then come back for a discussion with the audience.